Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to breakingpoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. CNN primetime anchor Chris Cuomo is now being accused of sexual harassment in the pages of New York, the New York Times, and not just sexual harassment of anyone, but of his former boss. So let's put this story up on the screen, which is pretty interesting. It's titled, Chris Cuomo sexually harassed me. I hope he'll use his power to make change. The Uh. woman in question is named Shelly Ross. I'll read you the details of um, her version of the episode. She says she was at a party with her husband. She sat he sat behind her on an ottoman sipping his Diet Coke as I spoke with work friends. When Mr. Cuomo entered the Upper West Side Bar, he walked toward me and greeted me with a strong bear hug while lowering one hand to firmly grab and squeeze the cheek of my buttock. I can do this now that you're no longer my boss, he said to me with a kind of cocky arrogance. No, you can't, I said, pushing him off me at the chest while stepping back, revealing my husband, who had seen the entire episode, at close range. We quickly left. Um, So the crux of the article, by the way, isn't for her to be like, and I'm so traumatized. It's for her to call out his hypocrisy for having pretended to care so much about sexual harassment, expressing all of this angst and chagrin about it, wearing this truth T-shirt in solidarity. Of course, we already know the details of how he was helping his brother to overcome his own issues with sexual harassment. But, Sagar, um, we were talking about this. When I first read this, I was like, oh, this might be true. It might Mm -hmm. not be true. It might be a little bit different. But she kind of has him dead to rights here because he sent her an email 
after the fact, we can throw, I think we have the email yeah, we can put, put on up screen. on the screen. The headline is, now that I think of it, I am ashamed, though my hearty greeting was a function of being glad to see you. Christian Slater got arrested for a kind of similar act, though born of an alleged negative intent, unlike my own. And as a husband, I can empathize with not liking to see my wife patted as such. So pass along my apology to your very good and noble husband. And I apologize to you as well for even putting you in such a position. Next time, I will remember the lesson, no matter how happy I am to see you. What in the... Okay. There's a lot going on here. First of all, it's a bold move to uh, grab your boss's butt cheek in front of her <laughs> husband. Um, I'm going to assume— At, a, at like a work party, At a too. work party? Yeah, I, there's several layers to all of this. Then to send an email apologizing for it, but also not really apologizing for it. Apologizing saying, first to the husband. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, sorry. And also somebody was arrested, but I didn't, you know, do anything. But also, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, I don't know. What's the excuse? He's Italian? I mean, like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like, is there a code in the Italian— Is there an Italian code that you're supposed to sexually harass your boss in front of her husband and then send her a rambling and straight— email. Also, did you notice it was sent at 6.30 p.m.? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a, little, it's a little early to start drinking there. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> Is that what you were reading? I'm just saying. I, I, see the I did like the, I appreciated the Christian Slater. Christian Slater, <laughs> That's yeah. That's someone I haven't thought about in a long time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of liked the way that she framed all of this because, again, she's she not like, she's saying there's a massive level of hypocrisy here. Right. Here's a guy who's holding himself out as some great champion, courageous champion, defender of women and advocate, you know, for women who have been subjected to sexual harassment and sexual abuse. And this is the way you've conducted yourself. And, you know, if he's doing this at a work party this brazenly with your boss, like— She's probably not the only one. Of course. This is not a one-off kind of an episode. And there have been, uh, you know, other past rumors and things that he's talked about. He's been caught on the phone even talking about, I think, with, like, Michael Cohen or whatever. But, look, really what it is, she makes this point. He was outwardly helping his brother trying to survive the Me Too scandals, advising him, helping write statements and drafts while he was working Mm. at CNN. He used his platform in order to propagandize on his brother's behalf for his brother's failed response to COVID, then made up some chicken shit excuse about, oh, I can't actually cover it, you know, whenever, uh, whenever he's in trouble, but I can whenever he's not in trouble. And then, you know, it all comes to the head that it turns out that behind the scenes, he's a total and complete scumbag or at the very least was back in 2005 whenever he exhibited some absolutely abhorrent and disgusting behavior. A lot of this is just outward, you know, moralizing, genuflecting, whatever. But it just goes to show that, and look, this isn't the first time, in his private life, he's legitimately off his rocker. I mean, what, what was that whenever he... Exp- he did his fake emerging from the basement, yeah. but then he turned out that he'd actually been outside, been like and his neighbor around. was like, "Dude, you have COVID! Like, yeah. get the hell away from me!" Or whenever he went to go view a house in the Hamptons, I remember doing a whole segment about well, the, this. the arrogance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the arrogance of this dude. In that yeah. way, he and his brother are so similar. Oh, like 100%. just a total so arrogance. Entitled. Yes. You really think? Like, you're a very famous person. You think no one's going to notice? Ever? You've told the world you're broadcasting from your basement. You've made your COVID diagnosis this whole big, like, thing. And you don't think anyone's going to notice that you're outside, walking around, riding your bike, mm-hmm. I think is what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, he was riding his bike. No one's going to notice? Like, the, the just level of arrogance of that, which is also manifest in this little incident that you think you can just, like, brazenly 
grab your boss's ass at a work party and that's going to be fine. It's not going to ever be a problem for you. I saw this type of attitude, whether it was with regards to women or anything else, so endemic within the TV cable news industry Mm -hmm. that it is not surprising at all. Um, James, our producer, was like, at this point, he'd have to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he still wouldn't. uh, (laughs) He still (laughs) wouldn't. a pretty good comment. But I'm also like, this dude is not all that special. Like, yeah. why are you going to such lengths to protect him? I mean, he he does have apparently the highest ratings of CNN primetime, which is no great feat. Um, surely you could get some other, like, you know, pompous blowhard to sit in the slot. There's Lord knows there's plenty of them out there who'd be happy to take the job. So I'm not sure why they're so aggressively defending this guy. To the best of my knowledge, CNN hasn't said anything about mm-hmm. This story, um, and we know that they certainly didn't punish him at all for directly advising his brother, um, being a political advisor repeatedly on meetings with the campaign team, the political people, and the lawyers through all of this, lying to the CNN audience about what his involvement was. They had no issue with that. Can you imagine if somebody accused Tucker of this and had him dead to rights in the pages of the New York Times with an email where he acknowledged sexually harassing? Get the hell out of it. It would be front page, like absolute banner news coverage. This just, you know, floated into the ether and they're going to ignore it like they always do. Every single time you'll come up on the air, probably take some fake vacation so that everybody, uh, everybody just <laughs> forgets, forgets about it. what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then it all comes back. It's amazing to watch. It's disgusting, really, that these people continue to get away with this stuff, especially when they're moralizing something different to you every day. But yeah. unfortunately, CNN viewers won't care because they're not going to hear about it. So there you go. There you go. All right. We'll have more for you guys tomorrow. All right, guys. Very excited. This is our inaugural partnership segment with the Daily Poster and David Sirota. Um, He joins us now. So I explained this yesterday, but we're officially entering into a partnership. We're going to do this weekly recurring segment to post on Friday. Obviously, we're promoting it to our people. You're incredible uh, reporting that you can't find anywhere else. You're going to push the segment out to your people. So great little collaboration here that I'm very excited about, David. Welcome. Good to see you, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Solidarity. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That's what this is all about. So you have a great piece, you and Andrew Perez. Let's go ahead and throw this up on the screen. Look, we know the surface-level negotiations with regard to the reconciliation package and the infrastructure bill, but what you have been getting at is what's really going on the scene, behind the scene, and what's really driving these various characters to do what they're doing. In particular, you focus here on Josh Gottheimer. You describe as the billionaire's Democratic bagman. He is the House's top recipient of private equity cash. David, lay out for us how that is impacting his approach to the reconciliation bill. So Gottheimer is one of eight or nine House Democrats who's trying to undermine the so-called two-track strategy, the strategy by which the only way to really pass the reconciliation bill is to keep it linked to that infrastructure bill. He's one of the eight House Democrats who's trying to de-link the two bills uh, and pass the infrastructure bill alone, which would, many believe, would ultimately kill the reconciliation bill. Now, as you said, as we reported, he is the top recipient of campaign cash in the U.S. House. Uh, from private equity, the private equity industry. The private equity industry, you will not be surprised to learn, uh, has lots of things that it objects to in the reconciliation bill, uh, particularly all of the potential tax 
measures that could be in a final reconciliation bill. Even more specifically, uh, things like the carried interest tax loophole, which is the loophole that allows private equity moguls to classify their income as capital gains rather than income and therefore pay a much lower tax rate on the on that income uh, than a typical American worker pays on their income. Uh, there's also provisions in there uh, raising taxes for uh, billionaires. Uh, obviously, the private equity industry has lots of very, very wealthy people in it. Uh, and of course, the private equity industry has an incentive to only pass the infrastructure bill because in the infrastructure bill are provisions that are designed to encourage and push state and local governments uh, to fund infrastructure projects through so-called public-private partnerships. Uh, an example, Blackstone is a private equity giant that is Gottheimer's number one, uh, their donors are his number one campaign con uh, contributors. Blackstone is heavily invested in the infrastructure world, uh, is heavily interested in those kinds of public-private partnerships. And finally, uh, Blackstone and other private equity firms are, are very uh, invested in the fossil fuel industry. Uh, they have an incentive, therefore, uh, to not want the reconciliation bill to pass. The reconciliation bill's programs designed to transition the country uh, or begin transitioning the country away from fossil fuel. Yeah, I mean, so David, I'll lay out, you laid out very well about the private equity industry and more, but Gottheimer has been at the forefront of a lot of wealthy giveaways, including the SALT tax. Like he has been right. the forefront at trying right. to bring back tax deductions for the wealthy. I mean, he seems to be almost all encompassed here. And my question is, can you describe his district itself? Like how out of step is he with his own constituents? How is he pairing these together and making it so he works on behalf of the wealthy people? Well, look, it's a wealthier district in New Jersey. Uh, it is a Biden district. We should mention that. Uh, it is a certainly a swing district, but Biden won that district. Uh, and And look, the things that he's pushing for, let's be clear, it's one thing to push for sort of upper middle class tax breaks, uh, sort of upper middle class uh, affluent uh, uh, giveaways uh, to and be from a district from there. I, I don't think that's good politics, but, you know, I guess you could you could argue some of that. But let's be clear, he's pushing for uh, giveaways that would mostly benefit like the crazy, super ultra rich, like <laughs> the Dr. Evil twisting the mustache uh, <laughs> kind of uh, kind of villainous uh, giveaways to, to the super rich, right? Like the carried interest tax loophole uh, is, a, a is for a tiny handful of people. The salt tax breaks that you're talking about, uh, what the stat is something like 80% uh, of the benefits uh, go to the top uh, 10 or 5% of income earners in the entire country. And I think it's 50% of the benefits go to the top 1% of, of income earners yep. in the country. So these are not broadly shared tax breaks, even among the kind of top 20%, top 30%. We're talking about a tiny handful of people. And what I, what I think that actually is the tell for is that he and his and his colleagues who were with him on this, uh, they don't necessarily care about what's good for their district. They care about what's good for the tiny segment of the population that provides them with a disproportionately huge amount of the money that they use to buy their elections and their reelections. Right. And where they may well go and work after they finish with their public service, quote unquote. Um, and David, this isn't a one-off. Gottheimer has been uh, a handmaiden to private equity for a while now, based on your reporting here. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, he pushed for uh, an expansion of Fed programs to give private equity firms uh, more money during the pandemic. Uh, he is somebody who has used a congressional hearing recently uh, to defend uh, private equity uh, and its in, and and public pensions investing in private equity. There's been a lot of reporting on huge fees and and reporting on on private equity firms basically fleecing public retirement systems. He has been at the forefront of defending that industry. And look again, I go back to the idea that the reconciliation bill is a wildly popular uh, bill. Uh, there's a lot of Congress people who support the reconciliation bill going out there saying it's a wildly popular bill. But Gottheimer is a good example of the fact that for the folks who are trying to kill it, and let's be clear, he has said, I'm, no, I'm not really not trying to kill it. I'm just trying to get the infrastructure bill passed. But clearly his strategy would kill uh, or at least make it easier to kill the reconciliation bill. And what Gottheimer is kind of proving is, is that there are a lot of these members who are trying to kill the bill who don't really care if it's popular broadly in their district. They are answering to the small segment of donors who disproportionately bankroll their reelection campaigns. In other words, they're betting that just having a huge amount of campaign cash will allow them to buy election and reelection, regardless of whether they're voting down uh, a very popular uh, legislation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the stunning part here, which is that the things that they're holding hostage, David, are, you know, literal giveaways, not just to the rich, as you say. I mean, the salt, the salt cap one, yes, it impacts people who are suburban, but the vast majority of it just goes to people with a net worth of over a million dollars. And it just seems right. that, that that is what they are holding the legislation hostage over, not anything principled, at least from what I can tell. That's right. It's they're holding the legislation hostage for the donor class. Uh, they are betting they have a political formula that bets that nothing at all matters. Nothing it doesn't matter whether you're for or against a popular bill. The only thing that matters is having a giant war chest of campaign cash to simply flood the airwaves with ads and buy election and re-election. And I'll be honest, you know, as horrible as it is, it's not necessarily a, a I guess, yeah. politically uh, uh, ineffective strategy. They've been able to do that for years and years and years. But what this is whole thing has shown is that the corruption is now completely out in the open if you just take a look at it. Now, not a lot of media organizations are willing to follow the money. Uh, like th this should be the central thing that we're talking about, that every media outlet is talking about. These kinds of things, you know, the, the Democrats who vote down the drug bill, uh, their connections to big pharma, Godheimer and private equity. This should be the central uh, point of discussion in the reconciliation bill, but, but it's, it's really not, it's barely part of the conversation. It's part of the conversation here uh, and in independent media uh, because it's important. And that it's, it's frankly what is really actually in reality driving this legislative debate. Yeah, Absolutely. and it's so infrequent that they ever get confronted with this set of facts. It just gets to fly under the radar. But, you know, I'm really waiting for the day we have that popular grassroots uprising in favor of maintaining the carried interest loophole. <laughs> sure, that's just around the corner. Yeah. David, thank you for the great reporting. Thanks, Very man. excited to have uh, our official partnership. Of course, we've yep. relied on your reporting and your analysis for a long time now, but excited to make it official. Thank you, my friends. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Thanks to both of you. Absolutely. No problem. Well, more for you guys this weekend. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll see you back here officially for a full show on Monday. Hey, so remember how we told you how awesome premium membership was? Well, here we are again to remind you that becoming a premium member means you don't have to listen to our constant pleas for you to subscribe. So what are you waiting for? Become a premium member today by going to breakingpoints.com, which you can click on in the show notes. 
Uh, I wish we were in a world where Hillary Clinton disappeared from politics, but she continues to tout herself across the global stage as some sort of leader. She was in Belfast in Northern Ireland in order to give a chance or a commencement speech at Queen's University. She was dressed up in the full regalia, but a couple of people in Ireland served her a little reminder of what they thought of her and what a lot of people uh, seem to. Let's take a listen to that. You know, you're watching this because she she put it out there as like being hailed abroad in Northern Ireland was a big thing for her and the Clinton administration. And she goes there and this is the reception, that famous soft power that she had uh, whenever she was mm. Secretary of State. There's a lot going on, um, I think, within the clip. It's just funny and amazing that, she th- that they think, you know, even after all this time, you can bring her here without all the baggage of the Obama administration, Libya, and more. And look, it's always just personally satisfying. Like when we showed you that clip of uh, Bush getting shouted yeah. at by an Iraq war veteran to see them directly confronted. Because the most entitled woman on the planet really believes that she's in, you know, entitled to this, like being hailed. She, look at her. She was dressed in like full regalia with a little kid like holding, you know, dressed in almost like colonial outfit. I thought that's what we weren't supposed to be about, so... It's a humbling experience. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the fall from grace of the Clintons. Mm -hmm. Because you think about up until very recently, I mean, they did the Clinton Global Initiative and everyone, everyone converged on New York and this convening of all the global elite and all the do-gooders in the world. And it was such a hot ticket and it was such a prestigious thing. And, um... You would go in the lobby, you'd see all these people, these power brokers having their meetings and wanting to be seen among the attendants. It was like the hottest ticket in town. This was like back in my MSNBC days. And I remember like people at MSNBC would brag about getting an invite to this or that event. Party? Oh my God. At the Clinton Global Initiative is a big media (laughs) event. All of this. I mean, but all of these global donors. All of these heads of nonprofit organizations, Nobel Prize winners, business leaders, all of them would converge on New York. And of course, Hillary and Bill and Chelsea were the center of the show. This was this whole world that they'd created for themselves where they got to be cosseted and feted and adored um, and sucked up to. And now, when you actually leave your little cosseted confines of whatever bubble you've constructed around yourself, this is the response that you've seen. And uh, I I think that this kind of like re uh, reimagining, not really reimagining, but actual reckoning with the the truth of the Clinton legacy. This has obviously been going on for quite a while, where Bill has either been, you know, very defensive about parts of his legacy, he's actively apologized for certain parts of his legacy, and then the other piece of this is, um, you know, 
places, a lot of rural areas of America had a pretty strong affinity for the Clintons. It yes, used to be that Bill would get rolled down into more red areas, more rural areas, because his very first campaign, before he actually got into office and did anything, he ran in this very populist yeah. way, um, that I feel your pain, all of that. And so um, one very specific example that I happen to know about uh, having lived in Kentucky is he used to be very popular, like in the mountains of Kentucky. And he went there during Hillary's campaign and was just absolutely booed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, reportedly, NAFTA, right, from the people coal, who were there right. uh, behind the scenes, he was apparently pretty shocked by that mm -hmm. because he still has this image of himself as like this populist, this person who's beloved in rural America and in the heartland and all of that. And it's just completely soured and could not possibly be further from the truth at this point. No, absolutely right. But they'll continue to act as if that's not the case. When they've enriched themselves to the tune of like hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, still wanted to prance about the world and be feted, but their day is over. So there we go. There you go. All right. All right, guys, enjoy the day. We'll have more for you tomorrow. Wow, you guys must really like listening to our voices. Well, I know this is annoying. Instead of making you listen to a Viagra commercial, when you're done, check out the other podcasts I do with Marshall Kosloff called The Realignment. We talk a lot about the deeper issues that are changing, realigning in American society. You always need more Crystal and Saga in your daily lives. Take care, guys. South Dakota Governor Kirsty Noem getting herself into a little bit of trouble here. A new investigation from the Associated Press, let's put this up there on the screen, sees that as her daughter sought a state license, Noem summoned the agency head. Now, the facts of the matter here are amazing. Noem's daughter, Cassidy Peters, obtained a real estate certification after she failed the exam she then summoned, Governor Christy Nome summoned to her office the state employee who ran the agency, the woman's direct supervisor, and the state's labor secretary. The daughter was also in attendance at the meeting. So all of this is so that Kirsty Nome's daughter could become a certifi certified real estate appraiser. And during this, this entire thing, the labor secretary herself called the agency head to demand her retirement, according to now what is all being alleged in an age discrimination lawsuit. So all of this transpired wow. in July of 2020. Now, to be clear, you know, there's the denial. They say the Associated Press is disparaging the daughter in order to attack the governor. But no wonder the America's trust in the media is at an all-time low. Now, look, I ain't got no faith in the media, but you ain't denying anything here whenever right. it comes to this. Here's the facts as we see them. Daughter fails a real estate appraiser exam, doesn't get a license. The governor calls in her civilian staff all the way up the chain of command, the employee, her boss, and then that person's boss, and pressures them in order to give her daughter a license, which she then gets the license. Now, appraising, that's, you know, that's some pretty good money there. They literally yeah. require you to do it. So you're one of those people. You've got the state accreditation. You've got, a, you know, income and cash flow. Looks like the governor's daughter's only 26 years old. Really, this isn't about her. This is about her mom abusing her office in order to, you know, uh, specifically make her family pass state hurdles and make more money. It's a stunning, stunning accusation. And once again, 
she doesn't deny it, at least in terms of... Yeah, uh, she just, she does her whole, like, right. you know, right-wing talking points, right. but doesn't actually It's like, deny. well, did you do it or not? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, okay, did right. the meeting happen? What happened at that meeting? The thing that's really funny to me about it is, like, just how low-level the yeah, corruption I know, is. Like, I know. <laughs> your daughter could just take the test again. You know, you have to go she to She could be a normal person. A lot, a lot of people like, do that. Just be a normal, okay, you didn't do well the first time, and try again. I'm sure there's a process yeah. by which you can study and go apply again and take right. the test like again. A better person. luck next time, like every normal person. Um, so that's something that's funny, which also raises the question of like, if you're willing to go to these lengths for this incredibly minor setback in your daughter's life, mm -hmm. what else are you willing to do? What else are you using state resources for um, is another question that I have here. It also reminds me of some of the stuff with um, Joe Manchin and his That's daughter. That's right. I was going to say, this is par for the course stuff. Don't think it's just a Republican or of, of that does this. Yeah. Of course not. Um, and the, the thing in particular, I mean, first of all, so his daughter, Heather Bresch, she ends up being the CEO of this pharmaceutical yep. company, gets multi-million dollar golden parachute, jacks up the price of EpiPens, all of, you know, all of this nefarious dealings. But it all starts, she gets a fake MBA from West Virginia University shortly after daddy is elected governor, where they just outright like invent classes that she never went to, invent grades that she never received. Ultimately, people had to resign and all of this to grant her this fake MBA. And then, of course, the way that she originally got the gig at this company that she wasn't qualified to work with is because daddy knew the founder and they happened, I think they were hanging out at a, some sort of sporting event yep. or whatever, and that gets her in the door. So this happens. Uh, one might also think about Hunter Biden and some of the ah, way that he's benefited yes. from daddy's name and proximity to daddy and all of that. But um, it's it's there's a something funny about the fact that it's such a kind of low level thing. Yeah, and like such a minor real setback. estate appraisal. Right. It's not even like a multi-million dollar deal. You know, we're talking yeah. about like modest middle class income. Right. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. that's what's going on. Really there. interesting. Uh, there is, you know, there's going to be an investigation. She says that she's going to recuse herself, whatever. But look, these certified appraisers, they can launch their own businesses. They can make more than $50,000 a year, like I said, inside of the state yeah, of nice South Dakota. Summer. Yeah, it's not bad. And, you know, she, Peters, the person who was working as a state registered appraiser, she actually worked under the supervision to apply for her own uh, apply for her own certification. It's actually not an easy hurdle that you're supposed to be able to pass. Applicants have to show that they can perform them to national standards and putting used to 200 hours of classroom education and months of experience. So she was denied based on all of that criteria. As you say, look, a normal person would say, okay, you know, got to go back to the drawing, got to do a little bit more, yeah. you know, show that I can pass the test or whatever. And then, uh, you know, all of this, it looks... You know, pretty much like they have them dead to rights. Like this person got a text saying, be ready to go to the government governor's office, be ready <laughs> to discuss appraiser certification procedures, <laughs> having the daughter herself be present at that meeting, your boss's boss personally there. Then somebody gets fired for not doing this. This is a clat. This is like a trooper gate. Remember that? Whenever yeah. uh, Palin? Sarah Palin yeah. Yeah, fired some trooper or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking about this that. This is that too. exact same, like, <laughs> Yeah, what is it about these Republican female governors? I can't quite dredge up all the yeah. specific details of Troopergate, but right. yes, it yes. does. Yes, it was exactly like Troopergate. <laughs> um, so there we go. Uh, we'll see what the investigation finds, but not a good look for Miss Snow. All right, y'all, enjoy your day. We'll have more for you later.
One more thing, I promise. Just wanted to make sure you knew about my podcast with Kyle Kalinske. It's called Crystal Kyle and Friends, where we do long-form interviews with people like Noam Chomsky, Cornell West, and Glenn Greenwald. You can listen on any podcast platform, or you can subscribe over on Substack to get the video a day early. We're going to stop bugging you now. Enjoy. Interesting find from Lee Fong. Let's go ahead and throw his tweet there up on the screen. So factory farms that are producing pork have hired a Republican PR firm to spin new animal welfare regulations in California as racist, using the disparity fallacy that is popular with liberals. People of color eat pork, so any price increase disproportionately hurts minorities. (laughs) He links to a story here from Civil Eats, and the the backstory here is um, there's a proposition that passed in California. It's animal welfare. Um, and you might have heard these sort of fear-mongering stories about like, oh, my God, there's going to be no bacon. There's going to be no pork or the costs are going to go through the roof, et cetera, et cetera. All of this, or much of it at least, planted by industry groups that are worried about having to comply with these new animal welfare regulations And so their newest spin on this, entirely predictable, is to plug into people's genuine concern for equity and racial justice and argue that this animal welfare legislation is racist Mm -hmm. because minorities disproportionately eat pork, so we can't have any price increases here. And by the way, Civil Eats goes through the purported price increases have been much overstated, by the way, and the producers can certainly adjust to the new regulations if they so choose. They don't have to pass on all the costs to the consumer. And oh, by the way, they don't seem to care so much about racial justice and, um, you know, people mattering and treating people of color well when it comes to their own workforce. I was going to say, what about their own that workforce who are like— disproportionately immigrants— minorities and who work in the, I mean, these jobs are the most difficult, brutal, dangerous jobs in the entire country. We covered how pork processing plants during coronavirus, and these were hotbeds of illness because they were forced to come into work sick. They fight against minimum wage increases for these people. So please, with the idea that they care at all about people of color in this country. I know people who've worked on the chicken line and more. It is is absolutely not a joke what these people have to go through for literally nothing um, and are treated terribly both by the employers. And look, I mean, the animals too. I'm going to focus on the people, obviously. But, you know, factory farming is a scourge on on the country. It's something that we all just overlook because people like cheap meat. But look, and in terms of all of this, this is all complete BS. I actually do think California should have done a little bit more to address any of the disruptions in the supply chain on the meat on the on the price side, just because uh, we already have all these floors, supports, and more for the meat industry. And what these pork uh, these factory farm producers are doing is they're trying to weaponize again, like you said, people's goodwill towards saying, "Hey, you know when." Stuff goes up at the dinner table. This means maybe less for my kids. This means less for my wallet. This means my, less of my ability to do this while also making them necessarily have to choose. And I don't think we should have to choose. It's a false choice. Even the amount of price support that we have for these fake industries here in this country, <laughs> agriculture and more, I think we could find a little bit in order to make the price go down for the actual people having to you know, buy meat or bacon or whatever. But 
Look, it's the final example of how woke politics is used so effectively by these businesses in order to push it in whichever direction that they want. And, you know, Wall Street, they have this some new thing, I think, that's like you can't go public on the NASDAQ unless you have one, like, female or black or board member or whatever. I'm like, is that going to change the way that they conduct themselves whatsoever whenever it comes to bilking another company or their workforce? No, it's not. Same thing here. They're going to use, and this is the best thing, is these are Republican firms who can see yeah. the salience of this it's and are so like, cynical. oh, we'll just use this and it's push so it out. Cynical. Here's the thing, it could work. Um, and if you actually care about even animal welfare, to me, you know, the actual people who are affected by the price increase, I think they matter above all, then you have to really, you know, call this stuff out whenever you see it. It is just so disgusting. Like, the weaponization of it, but that's what a lot of this has come down to: is that they can use the disparity stuff in order to wep, you know, like hijack people's brains and be like, "Oh God, you know, we have to fight against this." Who benefits? You know, um, who benefits? It's the actual factory farmers. They're just gonna, they just want to make more money. That's yeah, it. Yeah, they don't want to pay their workers well. They certainly don't want to treat the animals well. They don't care about the people who might have to suffer through mm -hmm. a price increase. They don't care about any of it. Um, they just care about their bottom line. And as you point out. The, the added layer here that it's a Republican, that it's Republican yeah, PR exactly. firms just shows you how incredibly cynical all of this ultimately is. So good little find there from Lee Fong showing the way that these people think and operate. That's right. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good day. We'll have more for you later. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. We really appreciate it. To help other people find the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. really helps other people find the show. As always, special thank you to Supercast for powering our premium membership. If you want to find out more, go to crystalandsager.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.